Job chapter 42, I will be reading verses 1 through 6 here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The famous question that many preachers have asked their congregants over the centuries has been, if you were ushered into the presence of God today, could you say, without a shadow of a doubt, that you would be in the right with God? Because the presence of God is a fearful thing for sinners who have transgressed His holy law. Job was first visited by God's word in Elihu. Then he was visited by God Himself in a whirlwind. And out of that whirlwind, God rebuked Job in two speeches. In the first, he asked Job, Are you sovereign over all things? If you don't like the way I govern all things, could you take my place? And in the second speech, the Lord asked Job, Are you just the way I am just? Do you know the hand of my justice? And are you going to tell me when and where I must defeat evil? Could you defeat evil all by yourself, Job? I didn't think so. And in the presence of this awesome God, Job would respond to his word. Now, do we ever consider that when we come to worship on the Lord's Day, that we are entering into the presence of God? How then should we conduct ourselves? How should we respond? The author of Hebrews says that when we gather for worship and hear his word preached, we are coming to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, through the blood of a mediator, and we are surrounded by innumerable angels and festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. It's like the roof of the building opens up and heaven comes down and we go up into heaven before God's throne to worship Him. That's sort of our equivalent of what happens here when God visits Job with His Word. Because worship is where God comes to meet with us. Now, He no longer comes in a whirlwind. He doesn't come in a, a pillar of cloud. But He comes with His ordained means. With His Word. With sacrament. With prayer. And He comes with His Word to confront us, to convict us, and to restore us. This is where we are being reshaped and renewed in the image of His Son. So what we see in front of us today is the beginning of Job's restoration. And this is what every believer's restoration ought to consist of. First, we are to praise God for who He is. 
Secondly, we are to confess our creatureliness and all that we lack in light of who God is. And thirdly, we are to forsake ourselves and repent. First, we are to praise God for who He is. He is almighty, holy, all-wise, all-good, which means that all of His good purposes will come to pass. See, Job has made a complete 180 turn here, and he has come around. Uh, This is the contrast when he first began to speak back in chapter 3 and how he cursed the day of his own birth. But now, after being visited by God and His Word, he is saying something totally different. His tone has changed. He praises God for who He is and what He can do. He says, I know that you can do all things. Isn't this what Jesus taught His disciples when He was teaching them about how man is to be saved? He said that man cannot save himself. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So we can never say that this or that person can never be saved. It's impossible. They're too far gone. Well, Jesus says, well, with God, all things are possible. Now, throughout this book, to some degree, Job has always believed that God is all-powerful. But he hasn't fully trusted that the Almighty was on his side. Job thought that God was using his power against him. Job thought that God was his enemy until God spoke first through Elihu, then he visited Job himself with his word. But before we jump to criticism, as I've been going through this book, I often ask myself, how would I react if I was in his shoes? We often think that we would be these champions of faith who who never lose heart or who never doubt the goodness of God. We tend to overestimate ourselves. But I came away from that question too often saying to myself, in my own power, in my own strength, I couldn't handle 10% of what Job went through before falling into despair and impatience. I could barely handle a headache or a common cold, never mind all that Job has gone through. But this is why God condescends and visits us. This is his pattern throughout scripture. Today, he visits us in his word, and later on, we will be celebrating the sacrament. He visits us each week to remind us that his purposes for his children are always good, and his purposes will always come to pass. He has made provisions for us in every way. Even when he visits us to correct us in his word. And know that in everything, all things that come to pass will be for his honor and his glory. So God not only revealed his immense power over all creation. He not only brought fear into Job's heart. But this great fear of God also came with the revelation that God was Job's creator and his Savior, to save him from the forces of darkness that have come into his life. His words and revelation not only confronted and corrected Job, but it also transformed Job's perspective of his situation. Either that or God scared him straight at this point. Because notice, 
that Job confesses the greatness of God while he is still suffering. He has not been healed yet. He has not been restored to his former glory. This is how we know that Job was a true covenant servant of God. And guess what? God never explains to him why he was suffering. So it was in the midst of his suffering that he praises God to be all-powerful and the sovereign ruler of creation. God's word called him out of himself and to fix his eyes on God. God spoke his word to him. God revealed his sovereign power, which was all he needed to say. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Is this how we praise God today? Is this how we begin our own prayers? Especially when we're going through something? Lord, I know you can do all things. And no purpose of yours will be stopped. God will lead everything to their proper place, even though it is not yet realized, even when there is chaos all around us. Now, Job trusts in his wise providence, even while he is suffering. And now, he has a knowledge of God that he once lacked. So secondly, confess what you lack. This is the nature of being a creature in the nature of being a sinner. We are lacking in comparison to God in every way. We are lacking in power. We are lacking in knowledge. We are lacking in wisdom. And we are lacking in holiness and righteousness because we are sinful. With all the other to be human sayings, we can add this one. To be human is to lack. It's to be needy. Job repeats what God said to him when he first appeared. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Job tried to interpret his own situation. And in doing so, he misrepresented God and his ways. See, both Job and his friends thought they knew what God was up to. They thought they knew the secret will of God. In all that God would say to Job, he never revealed what was discussed in that secret meeting in the heavenly courts between him and Satan. But now, after God confronted Job with his words saying, there are dark forces out there that you cannot understand, that you will never understand. I'm in control of all things. Job, don't worry about it. Job was convicted of his own sin and confessed That what he knows now, he didn't know then, and that he spoke too soon. He said, since I lacked knowledge, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. How often are we tempted to give up on God or jump to the wrong conclusions about God when things are going bad? How many stories have you heard of people leaving the church and turning their back on God because they couldn't see the full plan of God? especially when bad things have happened to them. And I'm not at all placing any blame here or saying that they didn't have just reasons for leaving the church. Sometimes you have to leave a particular church. But let us beware that we are not turning our back on God altogether because God is not the blame for evil. He never was and He never will be. God is all-powerful, all-holy, And he is 
all good. Because God does have a plan for your life. I know that's cliche, but He does. But God's plan may not line up with your plan. Because God's plan from the beginning has been to build His kingdom. And since the beginning, after the fall, the building of the kingdom required suffering. It required the shedding of blood. It required, as Meredith Klein has said, a trial by ordeal, which is a horrific experience, by the way. God used evil and suffering to build his kingdom. Think of the cross of Christ and how dark that was. But that was part of the foundation of building his kingdom. You have no kingdom without the forgiveness of sins. And you have no forgiveness of sins without making atonement for sins. The cutting off of the Son of God on the cross. So don't you think that he would use evil and suffering to build you up in your faith? If we don't understand what is going on in our lives, it is mainly because we are lacking. God is not lacking. God knows all things. He knows what you're going through exactly, exhaustively. He is trustworthy. We are lacking and will always lack in some way. And he is not obligated to reveal his secret plans for you and what is going on behind the scenes. And a desire for this type of knowledge can be the result of wanting to be sovereign over our own lives, wanting to be God. But would we ever be drawn to God if we had ultimate say over our own lives? Think about it. But instead, oftentimes, the Lord uses difficult situations to call us to himself so that we could hear his word and that we would confess what Job confesses here. Even in our worst moments, we are led to confess that God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. Because when he says that he uttered what he did not understand, he was confessing the fact that he not only lacked in the knowledge of God and his ways, but he was also confessing that he sinned. He finally came under conviction and confessed his sin. Now, he is not confessing what his friends accused him of, uh, that the reason he suffered was because he sinned, but he is confessing that as he suffered, he sinned with his lips. He spoke too soon and slandered the character of God without proper understanding. See, just because you sin without understanding and knowing what you're doing or saying, it's still considered sin. No one gets out of hearing his word and coming to the conclusion that we are sinless and without fault in all of this. Now, what we can learn from this is that every professing Christian is a confessing sinner. Every professing Christian is a confessing sinner. Some have said that confession is good for the soul, and that is true, but that's not all it's for. Job's confession of sin and our confession of sin is not just admitting our failures, though it is that, but it is also for the glory and praise of God. 
Do we ever realize that when a believer confesses his sin, he is also confessing the defeat of the enemy, Satan? In his commentary on Job, Meredith Klein says that Job's confession marks his final bruising of Satan. Why? Because his confession is a declaration of God's redemptive power. When we confess our sin, we are saying to Satan, though I have sinned, you have no dominion over me. You have been defeated, and you have been overthrown by God's grace in the gospel. Because God is faithful and just that when we confess our sins, he forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Confession is for the glory, honor, and praise of God. That's why it is part of our worship service. Satan wanted Job to hide his sin from God. Satan wanted Job to continue to justify himself rather than God. He wanted Job to curse God and die so that Job could worship and serve him. And guess what? We all must go through this trial. Don't you think that is what the enemy wants us to do? Don't you think he wants us to act self-righteously, holier than thou? Don't you think that when we sin, he wants us to hide or justify ourselves or curse God and turn away from him so that we would worship and serve the creature rather than the creator? But God's redemptive power is on display whenever the Christian confesses his sin to God. It is evidence that you have been redeemed and that God has the power to redeem you despite what you have done. We are confessing our utter lack of anything good and all the good that we have in us comes from God. And it is for the glory of God. And not only does he confess his sinfulness, but also Job confesses his creatureliness. We lack omniscience. We are not all-knowing. He says the things he didn't understand, the things he did not know, was too wonderful for him. You probably look at the pastor and you say to yourself, wow, he, he knows a lot of stuff, maybe too much for his own good sometimes. But knowing stuff is not the reason why pastors do what we do. Yes, we do need to know a lot of stuff. But it ought to come from a desire to share with everyone the truth of God, especially His sovereign power in the salvation of sinners. To share everything we learn from the Word of God. So that by that Word, His people would be shepherded and directed toward greener pastures in Christ. But every pastor, even the most educated, must confess the things of God are too wonderful for me. Yes, God has condescended and given us his word where he reveals himself in the mysteries of salvation. But there are things of God, especially the secret things that are mysterious and they will remain mysterious. Things we will never understand. Uh, think of how 
impossible it is to count all the stars. If it's impossible for humans to count the stars, then how much more impossible to understand all the ways of God? Those things that have not been revealed to us. Think of the mythical creatures in the last two chapters. Behemoth or Leviathan, whom God said were his creatures. Job didn't have much the same response to that. He doesn't even respond to that. He doesn't understand the existence and the purpose of these creatures. And all the study and the theories we have about these creatures today are mostly based on speculation. Though I do believe that they existed or still exist. So Job ultimately confesses that he is a sinner and just a creature of God. So the question for us is, have you confessed that God is God and you are not? That he is holy and that you are not? Because when we praise and proclaim who God is, it means we see God for who he is. And when we confess who we are, we see ourselves for who we are. What is the proper response to that? Repentance. Repentance. To turn away from ourselves and our sin. So thirdly, like Job, we are called to forsake ourselves and repent. Here Job repeats God's word back to him once again. Which is a good practice when we're praying to pray God's word back to him. He repeats, hear and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. Which was a challenge from the Lord to Job asking him whether or not he was able to do what God does. Of course the answer would be no. And so Job begins to confess again. Uh, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, which means he grew up hearing about God and his ways, maybe from uh, the local village elders or from his family and the tradition he grew up with. Some of that tradition may have taught a form of legalism, that in this life you are rewarded for good and punished for wickedness. But I would also add that there was some level of special revelation given to Job since he knew that sacrifices would atone for sin. Maybe it was a voice in his ear or in a dream. So he had some level of knowledge of God. But after the different ways that he heard God's word, he now says, after God sent him a prophet, after God came to him in a whirlwind and spoke to him directly and revealed himself to him, he is going through what every Christian goes through in hearing his word, he says, now my eye sees you. This doesn't mean he has seen the form of God. He only sees what we call a theophany, that is the whirlwind. God himself is without form. He is a spirit, which means he is without a body. This just means that after God spoke his word to him, he was even more illumined. He now sees with spiritual eyes. A light has been shown where his mind was darkened. It's much like the words of John Newton in his famous hymn, Amazing Grace, when he wrote, I once was blind, but now I see. We are to remember that 
during the season as we're celebrating the birth of Christ, we're celebrating the light coming into the world. The true light. And we are to remember that every miracle of Jesus had gospel truths written all over them. The miracles he performed were not just about doing good to neighbor, though that was the case. But it was also a way of communicating to the people that he is their sovereign God who has come to save their souls. Jesus came not only to reveal that he is God, but also to reveal that he is the God who saves. That's what the name Jesus means. It means our God who saves. Think of the raising of Lazarus. What was the point of that? The poor guy had to die a second time. The purpose was so that Jesus could say and reveal, I am the resurrection and the life. One of the miracles that he repeatedly performed was healing the blind. He not only would restore their physical sight, but also their spiritual sight. In those miracles, Jesus was saying, I am the one who will illumine my people's minds by my spirit and give them spiritual eyes to realize their need of me as their savior. That was the point. Like the time when Jesus healed a man who was born blind. When the man reported to the Pharisees what Jesus had done, he told them that Jesus was a prophet. But that's not all he was. Because afterwards, Jesus found this man to illumine him a bit more. And he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? He would have been thinking of the Son of Man from Daniel 7, who was both man and divine. He was also God. So he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And what was this man's response? Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The light has come into the world. And he revealed that he is the God who saves. And he calls all to believe in him. Because what did Job see here? He was illumined by God to understand the great gulf between him and God and that God was his only creator and savior. Now he understands who God is and he understands himself as a helpless creature and a sinner who needs the grace of God. This is what it means to walk in the light. Walking in the light is not only walking according to God's commands, though that is part of it. But walking in the light also means that you are aware of how you have failed to walk according to his commands. John says, if we say we have no sin, that is present tense, by the way. Present tense. Some have argued that this only means past tense. The Christian only sinned before he came to Christ. Well, no. This is present. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
Which means we would not be walking in the light. And what do we do when we walk in that light? What, what do we do when that light shines? Do we run from God? Do we hide our sins or try to justify ourselves? No. We confess with Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am lost. When he says that, he's not saying he is not saved. Don't interpret it that way. He's just addressing the great gulf that still remains between the believer and God. He says, woe is me, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Job says... Now that my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We hardly ever hear in our culture today that we are to despise or hate ourselves. We're always told to love ourselves. Now there is some level of truth to that because... In scripture, we're not told to hate our bodies. Uh, we're not told to starve ourselves of food that we need to survive. And we're not told to injure ourselves physically or others because of sin. But we are told that we are to abhor what is evil about ourselves. We are told to hate our sin. And this is a godly hatred of self because uh, sin is so closely tied to our identity as sinners. That is our only identity outside of Christ. Everybody's seeking for identity these days. Our only identity outside of Christ in God's eyes is the fact that we are sinners. But in Christ, we are forgiven, cleansed of all sin, and declared righteous because of the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. So to answer the question, what would be your response if you were ushered into the presence of God today? Could you say that you would be in the right with God? I hope that your response would be, if it was based on anything that I have done, then no, of course not. But based on what my faithful Savior has done on my behalf, then yes, I am confident. The reason why God came to Job was not only for rebuke, but also to assure him of his grace. And that was enough for Job to praise God for who he is, to confess his sin, and to repent of his sin. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what we do every week. The word of God is preached to you as it is the word of God so that it may confront you and convict you of your sin, but also to remind you of the grace of God in Christ Jesus so that by the working of the Holy Spirit within you, first you would praise God and all of his attributes, his holiness, his wisdom, his goodness, and praise him for his unchangeable love in Christ Jesus. Secondly, 
so that you would trust in his wise providence even when things seem to be dark and gloomy. Third, so that you would acknowledge and confess the ways you have sinned and the fact that you need God first and foremost to rescue you from your sin in its totality so that you can have a clear conscience in your relationship with God. And fourthly, so that you would forsake your sin, turn to God, and glorify and enjoy Him forever. Amen.